0: Welcome to Toby Haydock's Who's Round, or a uh, Haydock and Hancock's Half Hour, as it is known today. We're downstairs at the Royal Court where, um, uh, unfortunately for the Royal Court, neither of us are working, but it's their loss, uh, to talk to an actor who's notched up a lot of credits in Doctor Who and is definitely part of the, the Hooniverse furniture, so I'm going to ask him who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who.
1: Well, hello, my name is Prentice, Prentice Hancock, and uh, we're talking about Doctor Who because he asked me to. <laughs>
0: yeah, and well, and you started because you, um, it's not one you asked about much, of course, Spearhead from Space, your first one, because mm. it, it is dwarfed by the others. But do you have many memories of being all on film with Derek Martinez?
1: Derek Martinez, I, it's a name I, I can't remember that you reminded me. Well, it was at the last moment we, we had to transfer into film because it was, there was a strike. Of the studios, there were many strikes at the studios in those days. It was the episodes I think that John was taking over from mm-hmm. Patrick, and um, we toodled off to. Um, so we're beginning with E. Edgington, Edgington Edmonton, Edmonton. It's where the BBC trainees in Esham, Evesham, 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 yeah, uh, BBC trainees were. So it was, it was a real place. Where the alternative government would sit in the event of there being, say, a nuclear tragedy, it was was the place, and that is what we were there doing, a story about such things, you know, improbable things such as the end of the world and all that. And what I remember mainly is the joy we had. The whole day, there was something in the sky, which, of course, um, John could not resist pointing out every now and again. (laughs) There was this... Well he thought it was a weather balloon to begin with, but it wasn't because they, they phoned up uh, REF, whatever, wherever the weather forecasting came from. He said they had no lost no weather balloons. But they had, all day long we had this sort of foreign object in the sky. And to this day I've no idea what it was. Well it's probably the nesting consciousness
0: keeping an eye on its fictionalised version. Um, and do you, I mean... It was unusual for a whole production to be made on film oh, yeah. as opposed to videotape. Do, 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 do you have a preference to, to either film or videotape in terms of working as an actor?
1: Well, I mean, that was, it was sort of exciting for me, but I didn't really know that too much about television in those days, except that it was multi-camera. And as soon as you went outside, it became more or less single camera. So you adapted to that. And of course it was on location, so you weren't hampered by a studio. And the whole thing, to some extent, was improvised, because, you know, there we were. Suddenly, we weren't doing it in the studio, we were doing it outside. And everything changed, and, you know, one, one adapts very easily to that, but one adapted. And it's a it's a little part you have in Spearhead, and then
0: not not long afterwards, you know, two or three years later, you're playing a pretty hefty role. As, and, and I have to say, having spoken to you, you're a very relaxed and convivial guy. But it was the first in a long line for you of of, of quite stroppy people on the edge of a, on the edge of losing their grip. So, oh, how, I, how, how, how,
1: <laughs> yeah, another doctor, Who you've heard, yeah, it's yeah. Planet,
0: planet of the Planet of the Daleks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. well, there was uh, a really um, off the wall <laughs> character before then in a thirty minute theatre. Which was that um, slot that was on BBC Two with a half hour play. Um, and it was just, it was called Me McKenna when I played McKenna. And the nearest thing I can think of play that's like it was the Bofors Gun. Oh, yes. You remember he commits suicide? Yeah, with Nicole Williamson. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was in the same league as the Bofors Gun. And we, I did this play. And I played a soldier who ran the platoon, if you like, he ran the whole army camp. As um, full of hatred for Glaswegian who wanted everything his way, and a young um, committed Christian who was getting out of the army because of his beliefs, and he took him on. <clears throat> so there was a war between the two of them, which centred around the um, uh, the hut. The, um, the heater in the hut to the oven stove and the bad guy in the end burns himself on the stove to prove he isn't God and he burns the other guy to prove he isn't God <laughs> and nobody wins against me McKenna and that was the end of the story so that was, you know, that guy was really off war. wall two weeks later I did another one and then, you know, it all started from there really it started from me McKenna well, that you get got these sort of boiling point characters. Yes, yes, and I, I died in nearly everything I did. <laughs> <laughs> Salomar died, you know, he yes. got off into space, and uh, Weber I think blew himself up. And
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he sort of redeemed himself through through self sacrifice, yes, didn't he? Yes, yeah. So you had you had more of a uh, more of an encounter with John Perkley in Planet of the Daleks. Then, did you enjoy
1: working with John? Oh, I enjoyed John enormously. Yes, John and uh, Katie, that was great great fun. John was very sort of hands-on and I think his, um, his background was variety and radio and things, you know. Yeah. So he was sort of a, a comic but not a comic, you know. But he had a, a war cry that he sang before every episode. which was a Maori war cry, I think, you know. Sort of... <laughs> <laughs> Everyone responded to it, you know. Mainly Katie
0: <laughs> <laughs> And you'd been ca- you were cast in Planet of the Daleks by David Maloney Who you'd worked with on Last of the Mohicans mm-hmm. um, Playing another character that died <laughs> Cause I, watched that, I watched that a couple of years ago And I thought, oh, that's a nice part for you And then off you go and you get killed
1: yeah, very nice It was to link the girls from Edinburgh to, to Canada When he'd done that he, his, the, the reason for him was sort of over So he had to die
0: So, David and you obviously worked well together because he used you a lot.
1: Yes, I I didn't. Another thing I did, um, I had to get out of it actually to do a film, which then fell through because Nixon devalued the dollar. But I I recommended another actor to play the part. And actually, uh, Maloney became troublesome when I was doing Planet of Evil. He had a go at me one day, and I was quite junior at the time. But I mean, I wish I would stood up for myself because I wanted to know what the hell he was playing. At. And um, it lasted. You know, I thought initially it was, he was having a bad day, and he was. He did tend to find a. Occasionally, there was he'd find a whipping boy, and I think I was whipping boy. And uh, quite wrongly, I think he he continued that although he acted very nicely and I, I had people you know who came to see the show and who watched it from the box you know he was quite nice he was quite reasonable I didn't think there was any long-term um, benefits the wrong word long-term um, reason for him to carry on but about a year later my agent said out of the blue what have you done to Maloney?" so obviously he'd check me for something or you know put me up for something and Maloney's reaction was so uh, my whole life I've was i been rather he used to live in Putney and I lived in Putney and I used to see him we used to see each other time to time on planes to Glasgow and uh, one bizarre time he was in the Actors centre where I used to go because it had a very good, very small but very good well appointed gym which was underused and I was with Stuart McGugan no, two of us were there, two sort of quite established professional actors. And he said something like, "Oh, you still at it? You still do it?" Yeah. So, uh, Maloney, I don't know. So you never quite worked out. What never it was, quite so worked, worked had, out what. <clears> you worked with him a <throat> lot up, up to that point. Up to that, up to that. point, yeah. I mean, I was sort of one of his repertory, you know. Yeah. I mean, mm. It was. So, it's very weird. I mean, the part, um, (coughs) Salomo very difficult because he, Salomon had to hold his line for being an idiot, or you didn't have a plot. Mm. I mean, if we didn't carry on doing what he said we should do, which no one else on board or in the show thought it was at all the action that we should take, we didn't have a plot. Mm. So I had to go on being a Absolutely, in a straight line, like a, like an arrow, uh, about what I decided that we do. Um, well, he starts
0: unreasonable, and then
1: and he gets more and more. more unreasonable. <laughs> well, I mean, in the first scene, we reckon that he was his daddy owned the space line, that's why he was captain of the ship. But from the very first moment he opens his mouth, he's corrected by Ewan, Ewan Solon, Solon the yeah. number one. You know, so if. I got the impression that I was supposed to play a real real golden hero, you know, but how could I be a golden hero when I behaved in such a monstrous, daft fashion Prior to, I mean, <laughs> prior to and, and Weber, who was another sort of um, um,
0: hot, hothead you, He was quite sort of bullshit, Weber wasn't he? Yeah, it? he was <laughs> Yeah, he was. Um, again, you you had to be the sort of contrast to a reasonable older character. Yeah. In that case,
1: Bernard Horsfall. Yes. and uh, oh, Bernard dear Bernard. With, oh. Planet, with *Planet of
0: the Daleks*, you uh, had a you had a jungle. You had Tim. You had invisible monsters. Yes. so there was a lot of CSO oh, yes.
1: acting. And there was they were well, spitting plants. Weren't That's they? right. Uh, yeah, so spitting plants. <laughs> Great fun. And okay. the da-
0: and the Daleks. I suppose if you're going to do a Doctor Who, you should do one in a quarry with the Daleks, and yeah. let's do both of those. Can you understand what the appeal of the Daleks is?
1: Fear. Fear. I mean, can you imagine anything more awful than having one of those plungers pointing at you and they're going, exterminate, exterminate! <laughs> I mean, children used to be mesmerised and watched behind the sofa, and over the top of the sofa, and round the door. I mean, to a child, I think. You have to see it through a child's eye, a Dalek. Mm-hmm. The fact that they f- didn't float or anything like that—you know—that forget it. They couldn't go upstairs. You didn't. You, you ran for cover upstairs. You know, with a Dalek. But a uh, child wouldn't think of that.
0: And yeah, we—you did touch on the two moments. That was um, that was the, <coughs> the Ribos operation, which was with Tom Baker and with George Spenton Foster, mm. who was a director you worked with before. Yeah. George sadly was never interviewed about Doctor Who, so we don't know an awful lot about him. What
1: are your memories of George? George, I, I like George a lot. I'd worked with him I think before on, on the episode of The Survivors, yeah. um, which I don't remember too much about except there's an elephant in it, and we were in the country, and the, the night we spent, we filmed at a barn in which there was a cow, but the night before it had a caesarean operation, to, and she'd calved, and she was lying there, you know, completely... Ripped, well, completely cut from top to toe, but recovering. So that was lovely, you know. Something very nice and very, very sort of countryfied about that.
0: Uh, George
1: was—he was, he was a great help with doing doing that show. He um, sort of director he would say, "Come in and watch me cut it," you know. So you go and watch. when they had a channel whenever to do that. You needed a channel and special time. And you got half an hour, uh, three hours, or something to cut the episode, and that sort of thing. You know, he very inclusive with people he liked, anyway. And what about Tom as a contrast to, to John Pertwee? Well, natural contrast. I mean, I, I I'm bored with the number of people who tell me Tom was hard work. Hmm. I never found Tom hard work. He's just just another actor. I mean, he another actor playing a star role but he was another actor we didn't think too much in terms of stars in those days and um, I got on with him well and he didn't sort of intrude at all in me so um, just another guy
0: it's a lovely cast actually Robos Operation there's you there's Ian Cuthbertson Nigel Plaskett Timothy
1: Bateson yeah. Paul Seed awesome. it was a. I was on my own that's what I remember Everyone else was it was a two shot, or a, you know a, a double act. <laughs> yeah, it was Paul Seed and, and Robert and Ian, Keegan, yeah. Robert Keegan, Ian. We were all sort of, and uh, I was rather on my own. But yeah, lovely costumes, <laughs> very nice costumes. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Well, look, you're always asked about um, Doctor Who because as as we discussed before we started recording, your your you're, you're uh, uh, you know you're Involvement with it stretches over a number of episodes. But what about you, Prentice? What was, your, what was your background, and were you always going to be an actor? No,
1: I, I, my background Scottish. Um, I, I went to school in uh, well down here, and then when we went back to Scotland after the war, because I came down during the war, um, we returned to Greenock where I went to school, and I went to Glasgow Art School for three years. where I studied architecture. I just had a trip back up there, going down memory lane, actually. Um, and I decided, I, I joined an amateur company, which Bill Bryden, who thinks quite a well-known director The National, he, um, he had an amateur company and I joined that and I was working working very, very hard on the schoolwork for the architecture and doing amateur dramatics every weekend. And I had to make a decision and we did a play called the Rose Affair, which was a, a sort of modern day Beauty and the Beast, and scored 98 for it in an amateur competition. <laughs> Took it to the finals in, in Aberdeen. And um, on the basis of that, I decided to apply for drama schools and got into Rose Roof, And that was it. And I've never really regretted it, although uh, I do think that three years at Glasgow Art School, I was there part-time, but a day release and three nights a week was one of the most um, informative and um, it, it affected my life the most. I've done quite a lot to study it you know, various times. And the school itself, the building, never leaves you. It is a fantastic building. And Rennie McIntosh was the architect. And I was very, very grateful I, I did that course. And um, where was I
0: Well, yes. Yeah, so you, <laughs> and, and, but you, you graduated from Rose Bruford. Did you, hit, did you hit television running pretty quickly? How did you break into? No, I
1: did. You? I did about um, five years theatre, graduating up to you know to doing uh, Chichester and, and Pitlochry and things, as well as rap. with the odd, the odd um, telly. And then I think. I did Doctor Finlay, first telly I did, I think at the end of 68, um, then I Think Me McKenna came about 69 or 70, which really was a turning point. I got offers in telly after that, you know, at a, during the golden age of television. I mean, yeah, we did some wonderful work,
0: <laughs> well, looking I, back. <laughs> well, and I was very surprised, because knowing a lot of your work, I um, uh, was surprised when I saw your episode of Cold it that you were doing Glaswegian and I thought like, hang on that's, that's and then I looked and I hadn't realised you had a Scottish background mm. so um, was that your natural brogue, in it that drama school had um, beaten out for you or can you do both interchangeably I can do
1: both because uh, I had um, a mixture of Essex and Remperchure if you like when and the guy, the guy who mentored me said who was ex theatre workshop Mancunian said go south to Bruford's because you will learn how to speak standard English, which then was important. Um, well, we thought it was important, um, in a way that you would not come out of the Athenaeum in Scotland speaking standard English. You'd standard Scottish, but it's different. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's what I did and I took two years to hammer out some of the noises I made. Who <laughs> and or being children. And then I relearned Scots, if you like. When I, when I uh, regret it. I saw a production at National with um, a lovely Clive Merrison, with whom I shared a uh, flat you when know, it was a drama school. And I said, That's a lovely girl in Irish, and she's using her own uh, accent. And he was Welsh. And he said, Yeah, I wish we'd done the same. <laughs> you know, We've got this, we speak standard, you know. Although mm. um, well, it was a time when Northern. Dialects and Albert Finney were taking over in the theatre. It was still a time when, and we did train as teachers as well as performance directors and stage managers, you know, we did everything. So if you're going to teach it, you've got to speak it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but as long as people know, uh, fair enough. You know, I still have difficulty now, I didn't for a while, but when I go back to Scotland, I'm proving I'm Scots, you know. <laughs> well. Where are you from, Prentice? So I'm from London. Where are you really from? I'm from Greenwich. You know, oh, yeah, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> he's,
0: well, one of, he's one of us. Show them your episode of Colditz because that's a great... I mean, you get a lovely yeah. guest star billing at the top yeah. of the thing as well. Yeah. What do you remember of that? That's Because that's a great... I, I remember great it being at the bottom you. and not
1: on the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what can I say? Um, uh, it was eclipsed, I think, by... Um, an actor at the National, Michael Bryant. Who, Michael Bryant, amazing depiction mm. of a dead or a living soldier or model or something. You know, he he suddenly went into it. The point was he could suddenly go into it. Yeah, he
0: he played a part where the guy pretended to be mad to be right. repatriated, yes. and actually ended yeah. up going mad. Yeah. And Bernard Kay, who we were with the other yeah. day, was his guard. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a great.
1: It was a good uh, series. It was a good series. Yeah, I saw some of the remakes recently. Uh, um, well, that's where it goes.
0: <laughs> but, but science fiction seems to have um attached itself to you because you did Space
1: 1999, you know, Chalky, as well, yeah. Kappa 2, yeah.
0: So, what are your memories of those?
1: Uh, 2, not a lot. I did it all in one morning, three episodes in Newcastle. The day I was, I got type 1 diabetes. <laughs> so oh, I really? Was pissing all day long, kind <laughs> <going> the <to laughs> loo, and you know, my dress, I I was quite mad. <laughs> Um, Chucky I enjoyed uh, um, I did the second and third series and we, we were set up to do to go international um, but second, after the second series we lost our, our producer died, heart attack and the third series well, something else, we lost the writer who also wrote uh, spy stuff and um, it got a new New York agent for his spy stuff, so he went off to concentrate on doing spy stuff. They're all quite mad, those people who write spy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So rather, and then of course Thames and Mrs. Thatcher and all that went on, you know, that that all died to death. But, um, yeah, I mean, Space 1999, the first series I was in, fourth build, um enjoys the success I think it deserves I'm not a science fiction fan by any means but um, it stands up ter- very well you know for being 40, 40 odd years old
0: Martin Landau was flown over specially to do it I think
1: Martin and Barbara, yeah, yeah, yeah double act yes they, they and uh, Barry Morse whether he was resident here or in Canada when he started I don't know but um, yeah they came over and um, highly professional and lovely people, you know, we, I think it was one day early on when Martin sort of, he went very pale and white and he, he said, Jerry, we have to go for a walk, <laughs> and he took Jerry out, and I think he settled his contract at that time, <laughs> he realised what he, British rates were. <laughs> Against American rates. Oh yes, which is a because huge disparity. Because unfortunately, we weren't on a sad contract, you know. No, because uh, that would have been very different. It would have been, it would have been very different had we had we won a a um, network showing in the states, which we never did. They dislike foreign product anyway. A good foreign product because it shows up how awful their product is. You know, yeah. we're the same. So. Uh, you take a sort of second-rate product. And we had rather good first-rate products.
0: So what about away from the crazy world of television? Because it's not often... It's not talked about enough, I think, because we could be very uh, parochial But you've done a lot of work in the theatre. What have been some of your highlights in the theatre?
1: Not so much recently. I mean, I did... Um, I did a production of Terra Nova down in Plymouth many years ago, which I... Is, that was the biggest stage in uh, England, I think, or Britain, outside of Covent Garden. And the stage there is north, so you can, you can bring in the Bournemouth Light Orchestra and fly it out again, you know, on its own, which they do sometimes. But, um, atmospherically, it was terrific, because going across the stage that way, going to the pole, and coming back that way is really all the, all the players about. And we had a, a little tent, cut out, uh, with a mile of scrim above us, in, right up the flight. And that was just the view you got of us on the way back. But it was overwhelmingly um, um, effective, because we had um, help from the Royal Navy, who would be out in the, in, in the ice. The hydrograph- uh, hydrographic department. He told us the effect that not having any vitamins in their diet had on these guys, which meant that, for a start, without a vitamin C, all your old war wounds open up. And this may you know, this is why Oates won't walk about because his had his foot almost blown off, you know, and it all opened up again. And the, the, what they went through, and the fact that they got to twelve miles yeah. and stopped there, you know, and died there, they I, one is overwhelmed with. I don't know, um, gratitude for them. <laughs> they were so mad that mm. <laughs> they did this, you know, yeah. and they almost did they it, nearly got there. I mean, Amundsen had had, lunch, had a dinner with them one night on board at some stage on board the. Um, his vessel in, the, in the, somewhere down south or some other time. And afterwards he wondered, he wondered, he said, Who are these guys? They didn't ask us a single question. Because they knew that. Because they, they knew they, what they were yeah, doing, they knew, they, they knew they how, they knew how to do it. <laughs> they didn't need any help from any gone foreigners. But <laughs> he just said, These men are incredible. They didn't ask a single question. That's extraordinary amongst semi- uh, professional people. Yeah. yeah, it's a fine line between genius and insanity, there. Yeah. Though, isn't yeah.
0: It? <laughs> and so, um, what, what do you have any um, unfulfilled ambitions as an actor? Is there anything?
1: Uh, it would have been nice to play Hamlet. <laughs> um, well, one thing I did notice actually in um, filming on Outlander, which is I'm doing a small sort of um, flashback character, of Uncle Lam who uh, is very sort of um, important in the girls' development. And I noticed three cameras. We were in a little archaeological dig, you know, digging the, And there were three cameras on us. I thought, this is like the old days. This is like, you know, multi-camera television. Mm. And they've got this rig set up where you can see them all at the same time and, and virtually cut as they're going along. And um, I, put my, I put my whole contract on the line because I said, oh hell, I'm supposed to smoke in this scene. It's important because she's 11 and um, she lights a cigarette for, the, for my character who's I'm about 40 in that scene. And um, did it to me. I said, but I don't smoke and that's a deal point because I have problems with my chest. And uh, so I said, yes, all right. And I thought, you know, that'll be it. No, no problem. CGI. Computer generated image. She hands me a cigarette which has a green end, which she has lit with a pretend lighter. The lighter's there but there's no flame. Hands it to me, I smoke it and they'll all do it afterwards on CGI. Fantastic. (laughs) So I thought I've seen everything now, you know. With three cameras on it. That's extraordinary. Yeah. That's extraordinary. And they didn't bat an eyelid.
0: So that's your latest endeavour. That's Outlander. So uh, what else have you been up to lately?
1: Well, I did my own uh, one-man show, um, Voltaire's Candide. Which do you know Candide? Yeah. Well, I play all the parts. <laughs> um, which Voltaire is sort of in his dotage. It's not not based on truth, but uh, he's sort of starving in a garret somewhere in Switzerland. You know, it doesn't really matter where, but he. Bang, the postman arrives, or the, a rider arrives, and he gets an invitation from his mates in Paris to write a sequel to Condé, because it went very well the first time. So he thinks, Condé, my might, you know. He digs out the, the book, and he starts reading it to himself, and he starts to tell us a story. And at the end, he goes, oh, Well, I think I'll just uh, tend my garden. Ha-ha. <laughs> Never gets to bed. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Always goes to sleep in the same place, in the same yeah. chair, <laughs> with the book. And you, so, so you wrote, you wrote that, <coughs> and you wrote it, performed yeah. it. <coughs> hmm. And I've got, I've got a um, in uh, well, a, lo- a local fringe theatre, which is uh, I think would suit it very well. In uh, it's called in is in the Old Brompton Road. Um, well, I've got, I've got a, a proposal in there to do it. so I might be doing that. Excellent. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. The last sort of, uh, I did the first English production of Mary Queen of Scots got her head chopped off at the king's head. Oh yes, which was lovely. Apart from the fact that I played John uh, John Knox, and he wore a Tudor cloak. No, (laughs) no way in real life would he ever wear a Tudor cloak you would have been wearing clerical garb of some sort. So why did they put you in a Tudor I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. perhaps, because so it had, had Mary, one. Mary, Elizabeth, uh, Mary Elizabeth first in it, therefore it had to be Tudor. Okay. Although the place is set in Scotland. I mean, it didn't make sense. But there we go. Did you get any letters? No,
0: no, no. Oh, well, you got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Prince, thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, Doctor Who is 50 years old this year. It's but one part in many uh, that you've played, but um, people are still interested in your uh, performances and appearances in it. So what is your message to the Doctor Who fans out there listening in this 50th year?
1: Keep watching.
0: As long as they keep, keep making it, I think people will. Keep, keep uh, saying
1: Capaldi, <laughs> Uh, We're we'll Scots <laughs> Another Scots <laughs> uh, Scottish Doctor
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Another one That's three That's actually not yeah. bad Three out of twelve McCoy oh, Tenant right, yeah. Capaldi It's
1: alright well, 60 million you And 4 million
0: of
1: us so. <laughs> <laughs> Hancock Thank you very much Thank you indeed Toby. Hope that
0: was okay for you mm. Yeah Thanks to Prentice, Doctor Who legend, who would ask you to donate to the RNLI. We didn't do this in the interview because he wanted to have a think about it and uh, email me later, which is why it wasn't in uh, the body of our conversation. So the RNLI, which is uh, www.rnli.org, and that's the uh, charity that saves lives at sea. Uh, we have another interviewee but we're going behind the scenes with a lady who has designs on some of the monsters uh, in the next edition and until then i hope you go and sacrifice yourself bravely to make up for all your previous misdemeanors goodbye i didn't want to do it but in those days when you're on staff you you did as you were told and um, i had shared an office i was sharing an office with daphne dare who was a very talented designer and working on Doctor Who at the time. And I used to say to her, golly, I'm so glad I don't work on that show. It must be a nightmare. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Famous last words.
1: Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Warehouse.
0: Would the section manager please contact the supervisor's office? Looks like a warehouse of some kind. A very big warehouse. There must be miles of shelves. We're told that if we live a good life, obey the commandments, then we will be rewarded. Delivering two items. Two items. Vacuum sealed. Blooming, firming again. Repeat. Section manager, to contact the supervisors' office immediately. Doctor, I hear it now. The patter of plot. The patter of lots of cloud Feet. Oh, you're clever, you are, Doctor. Too clever by half.
1: Big finish. We love stories.